0: Good morning. As David said in the Psalms, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, we really have a, a privilege to, uh, to be able to come into the Lord's house and uh, be instructed and to, to worship. And yesterday, I came down here early to kind of do a, a walkthrough and uh, I was in here by myself and I was just overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of, uh, of the privilege of sharing God's word with people and, you know, he allows us to be involved in his work, to be, be an instrument in his hands. And he wants us to understand that, that he wants to work through us and use us. And, and when we understand that it's not us at work but him, we get to be in the front row of watching him do something eternal in the lives of other people that's way beyond anything that we could ever hope to do or accomplish. And, you know, I got a renewed uh, and a different level of appreciation and respect for our pastor. So I tell you, this is hard. (laughs) And he does this every week. And, uh, you know, I got here. uh, My wife and I usually come to 8 o'clock service. And we usually get here, you know, 5, 10 minutes early maybe. I got here this morning at 630. And this place was buzzing. You know, we got an incredible staff at this church. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, to produce uh, the, the quality and the opportunities that we have here. And it's easy just to take that for granted and just think things has happened. But I tell you, we've got an amazing group of people. If you get to know them, they love each other. They, they're on the same page. They have the same mission. They have the same purpose. They have the same heartbeat. And I just really uh, feel like we're incredibly blessed uh, to have these people. And, you know, as Philip said, I, I am not a preacher. I have been accused of preaching from time to time in my Sunday school class had a lady once, uh, uh, when I hadn't been teaching too long, she asked me if, uh, if I ever thought about asking a question. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of hurt my feelings. And I made the mistake that a lot of guys make. I asked my wife if that were true. Uh, guys don't ever do that unless you want to hear the truth. And she did say, uh, sometimes our class gets two sermons. So, uh, and, and it wasn't over then, though. I guess God wanted to make sure I got the message that there's a difference between preaching and teaching. And I went to the hospital to visit a lady in our class that same week who had had a, a rough delivery of twins. And uh, as I was leaving, she was kind of under some sedation. And she said, you know, I probably, I probably won't be able to be there for a few weeks. And I said, that's okay. She said, but I am so going to miss your sermons. So. <laughs> so, so, so I said, okay, God, I, I got it. Oh, God, it, I got it. You know, uh, and uh, I've, I've been teaching here for uh, over 25 years, and I started off as a, as a Sunday school teacher. And uh, somewhere along the line, I, I think I got promoted, and I became a, uh, a Bible study teacher. Uh, and then recently, the last few years, I think I got another promotion because now I am a life group leader. And, uh, you know, uh, and the interesting thing is all, all those jobs are, are kind of the same. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, uh, I just will take a minute to plug our life groups. You know, this this is the big group. You know, this is when we meet together. But but where most of the ministry happens in this church is in the small groups. And that's what our life groups are. We have life groups. We have a lot of life groups. We have groups that meet here at 8, 9, 30, and 11. They're broken up in different ways. There's one for everybody. There's life groups that meet off campus at different times and different places. And, and I tell you, uh, my wife and I have, have been leading this life group for over 12 years, and uh, you'll never regret. And I love, I love the name because that's what we do. We live life together you know we take care of each other we minister to each other we serve together we pray for each other and as you do those things god builds bonds that are that are family you know these people a lot of them are here they've been praying for me uh, throughout this whole this whole process and i tell you you'll never you'll never regret getting involved and and if you're not involved in one you are missing something and there's a list out there at that information desk they got them all broken down and i just encourage you to pursue Uh, pursue involvement in a life group. Uh, You know, uh, uh, last week we started on a new uh, sermon series that our pastor entitled A New Attitude. And he told us last week, he instructed us from the scripture that that we need to have the mind of Christ. Uh, We need to have the same attitude. We need to have the same values. We need to have the same priorities. Uh, We should see things as Christ sees them. We should see people as Christ sees people. And, you know, a, a continuation of that, uh, in Romans 12, two, uh, God sp- speaks to this, and it says this. Uh, it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, and, and, and this challenge to, to believers implies that, that we have a choice. And it's saying you need to exercise your choice. And it also says you can either be one way or the other. You can either be conformed to the patterns of this world, or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you look at conformity, you know, the picture of conformity, conformity comes from outside pressure. You know, the picture of conformity is, is, is an artist taking clay, and through outside pressure, they shape and mold that clay into the image that they want it to be. And, and, and this, this tells us that, that, that that's what the world wants to do to us. The world very much wants to pressure and shape us into the image of the world. You know, the, 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 the worldly system uh, wants us to conform to the worldly standards. Uh, the, 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 the worldly system wants us to accept the, the, its customs and its fashions and the mores of the time, which, which they will tell you are evolving. Uh, but, but it says that we need to get along to go along. It says don't make waves. It says don't stick out. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure if you try to live your life in a way that is contrary to the standard of the world. But this passage says that we should resist that conformity. We should not be conformed to this world. It says that we can choose not to. It says that instead, instead of being conformed to the pressure, by the pressure of the world and to its image, it says it be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This, this transformation is like a metamorphosis. It's like, it's like we see a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. It, it's a transfiguration. It, it means that we appear to the world as new people with new habits. That we're, we're in a new form that's been given to us by God so that we can serve him in a new spirit. That's what it means. Transformation implies something that's radical, It means it's a thorough and universal change. It's something that starts on the inside and works its way to the outside. The the, the inward change produces the outward change. That's That's what that means. What is on the inside becomes visible on the outside. And it tells us to choose that. You know, we talk about growing as a Christian. We talk about maturation. Christian growth and maturation is really a process and it's a process of us allowing God through our willful submission to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what maturation is. How much do we appear to the world as Jesus Christ? How much do we represent him in the world? As we grow in our faith and understanding, Jesus calls us to participate with him in his mission. You know, in Acts, in Acts 1... Yeah, it it, re, it records the instruction that was given to the disciples after the death of Christ. Uh, he he said this. He said uh, uh, they were to wait in Jerusalem until they had received the promised Holy Spirit. In Acts one eight, uh, records Jesus saying this. It says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria." And to the ends of the earth, you know that that, that Greek word that we uh, have for power here, that Greek word is dunamis, and, and it's it's the same root word that's used for dynamite. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean just any power; it means explosive power. It means miraculous power. And Jesus told them, "You will receive miraculous, explosive power when the Holy Spirit." Comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's what he promised to them. And look at where he told them to witness. He said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's their city. You'll be my witnesses in your city, in Judea. That's your country. And he says, In Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, I was studying this passage just a few months ago and, and, and it occurred to me why? Why did they single out and mention Samaria as a separate entity? Because it was already included in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. Why? And, and as I looked at it, I said, well, uh, maybe Jesus mentioned Samaria because he was talking to these, this Jewish audience that he knew the last place in the world they wanted to go was Samaria. They didn't like Samaria because it was filled with Samaritans and they didn't like Samaritans. So, so he told them, you know, you, you need to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth and the message to us is if we're going to be obedient to god and the call his call on our lives we need to be prepared to be obedient in all things and that might include going somewhere that you'd rather not go that might include doing something that you would rather not do that might include interacting with some people that you would choose not to if you had a choice uh, when, when, you know, when Paul, when Paul began to go on his various missionary journeys and we see him, we see that recorded in the book of Acts. You know, we, we talk about the book of Acts, but if you've got an old, old-timey old Bible and you open it up, the title is The Acts of the Apostles. You know, I love that title because you, you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that records, it, those, those are their testimony. They said this is what they did. This is what they experienced. This is what they saw. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but then Acts, this is what they did. These are the acts of the apostles. You know, I, and I love that. And, and as we see in Acts, Paul began to go on these missionary journeys. And he began to establish churches in certain cities. And, he be, and, and then he wrote letters to them, the epistles that we, that we study still. He wrote them letters to instruct them and things and, and condition them. But as you study those cities where he founded those churches, you can see he founded those cities with intent and purpose as guided by God's Holy Spirit. Because these were cities that were, that were centers of commerce. They were, they were centers of government. They were, they were places where a lot of people came to and went from, and they spread throughout the world. So he purposely and with t- intent chose these cities to found these churches because he knew that from these churches the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread throughout the world. You know, and I want you to consider that. I want you to consider that God has strategically located First Baptist Church of Norfolk in just such an area. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but you know that we have to turn one third of our membership every year almost just to stay even because this is such a transient area with the military, with all the other things, with the ports. You have a lot of people coming here and going forth and spreading throughout the world. God has put us here with intent and with purpose. And this is a great commission church. You know, we, we are on mission locally. We are on mission nationally. We are on mission internationally. You know, my, my wife and I have been on mission with this church. We've gone to India three times. And I tell you, guys, uh, God used that to change us. God uses, I, I, uh, I think my, my, my buddy Bill Craig is here somewhere, Bill and his wife Mary. Uh, when you're standing up here, you really can't see all y'all, which is kind of good. But, uh, you know, Bill was our leader, and, uh, and I told him this week, uh, it, just, it just came to me that, that, that God began a change in me when we went to India, that he continues now. That's what he does. You know, uh, my wife and I know that we have been changed. God changed our faith. God gave us a a bigger and clearer understanding of the church, what the church is. He changed our marriage. You know, we, we, we had a good marriage, and he gave us a better one because we got to experience something. I remember being in Calcutta and saying, Cheryl, I'm so glad we came on this mission together because how would we ever explain what we're going to to each other? we got to go through that. And when God uses uses such things to change people, then when he brings them back into the church, that change comes back into the church, and he changes the church. This is ascending church. I thank you for that. I thank you that we are ascending church, and I pray that we will continue to be a great commission church, and we will experience God's power moving through our people and changing them and bringing them back and bringing that change you know Matthew 28 we're going to look at Matthew 28 today and uh, the, the the scripture we're going to look at is commonly called the great commission but when you look at Matthew 28 it, it opens up on the first day of the week on a, on a Sunday that was the first day of the week for for Jewish people and this was also the third day after Jesus had been placed in the tomb and and it says that that on that morning uh, at that tomb there were two groups of people that witnessed the same event, but had very different responses to the event. And one of those groups were women that, says that, that had come to the tomb to look at the tomb, and the other group were the Roman soldiers who were charged with guarding that tomb. And it says that there was a violent earthquake. And it says that an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled back the stone from the tomb and sat on it. And it says his appearance was such that the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And it says that the angel spoke to the women and he told them not to be afraid. He said this to them. He said, I know what you are looking for. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Then he told them to quickly go tell his disciples and to give them a message. He said, tell them he has risen from the dead and as he, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. It says that these 11, because there were 11 disciples at that point because Judas had already hung himself. It says that these 11 were obedient and they went to Galilee. And, and when they got to Galilee, it says that they saw Jesus. It says that they saw him. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some of them still doubted what they saw. But then Jesus spoke to them, and the words he spoke are what we have come to call the Great Commission. And he tells them this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, when you look at the life of Christ as recorded in the Gospels, you see that he spent a great deal of time preparing and equipping these men for this mission. He poured himself into them. He, he taught them. He led them by example. He challenged them. He corrected them. He loved them. Sometimes he grew frustrated with them. You know, one time it's recorded that he called them a bunch of dullards. You know, that that would be like today saying, how can you guys be so thick? How can you not get this? And several times we see in the gospel that, that, that Jesus backed off or withdrew because it says that his time had not yet come. But now we see there's no longer any holding back. There's no holding back. Now is the time. And he tells his disciples, go. He says, he tells them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Think about that. All authority on heaven and on earth are under all things under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he earned that. He earned that authority. He is the reigning king. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and the only thing that is not under the dominion of Jesus is the Father himself. And he said, all of this power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go. You go. You go with that and join the work that I'm going to give you, and you go with this explosive, miraculous power and with this authority of mine. You go in my name. You go in my authority. You know, we live in a time where authority is not a real popular word. I mean, we constantly see uh, things on the news where authority is being questioned and it's being challenged, and there's a real simple explanation for that. We as people don't particularly like authority to different levels of degree. But Jesus said, as believers, uh, it is the authority, it is my authority that's given to you as my followers and to use as you share the gospel. It's it's this authority that is awakened in us by the Holy Spirit of God as we share the words of the truth. And Christ's authority is the power of ultimate arbitration in heaven and on the earth. That's what has been made available to us. Jesus possesses this authority and he invested in this through the Spirit to his followers. Uh, uh, this, this presence of Christ in believers through the Spirit produces the authority for evangelism in this cynical world. That's where the power comes from. It's not from us. It's not from our training. It's not from our talent. It's not from our ability. It's from our willingness to let God express his power and authority through us. That's what it is. It's this authority that produces the right and the responsibility of us as followers of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, the first step, the very first step of making disciples is presenting the gospel. That's the very first step. If you're a believer, you should be able to answer a question that somebody would ask you. How do I become a Christian? Do you know how to do that? If somebody asked you that, could you tell them? If somebody came to you and said, uh, you got something that I don't have and I can see that in your life, I would like to have that. Could you tell them how to become a Christian? Because that's the first step to making disciples. We are called to share the good news of Christ with all people. You know, the meetings, the meetings and the encounters that we have with people as we go are not by happenstance. And and we should be equipped and prepared. We should be equipped and prepared for that. We are here on mission, and God crosses our lives with people every day and presents us with opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Let me ask you this. Who has God put into your world so that you might share the gospel with them? You think about it like that? See it with the eyes of Christ? Do, do, do you see people that way? Do, do, you, do you see with the mind of Christ? That's what he challenges us to do. Do you ever consider that maybe that coworker or that neighbor or, or maybe some other person who, 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 uh, who rubs you the wrong way? You know, maybe, maybe they irritate you beyond all endurance and your hope as you go through your day is just to avoid them at our cost. Do you, do you ever consider that maybe God placed them in your path for a reason and for a purpose? Did you ever think that maybe, maybe what makes them so difficult is that they're miserably unhappy? Maybe they're lost. Maybe they don't have hope and they don't feel purpose. You ever think about that? As you go, as you go, make disciples. That's what we're here for. Jesus met with his disciples on a mountain and he commissioned them to join in his redemptive work and in, in the beginning of that mission it is calibrated by the first word of the commission go go that's the command it means to go on mission as you go as you go make disciples as you go about your life as you go about your work as you shop as you take your children to and fro all the places that they need to go make disciples go with intention go with purpose, go with a heart tuned towards God and guided by the Holy Spirit. Go, not just to your friends and family, although this does include friends and family, not just to those that you like, go to all nations. That's what we're challenged to do. And it doesn't mean nation states as we think about it. All nations means all people groups. It means all races. It means all ethnicities. It means all nationalities, all religions, all people. Go to those that on your own you might even choose not to. Go in obedience to God, go as directed by his holy spirit. You know that the, the first part of that man is that the command is to go. But the main emphasis of the command isn't go, it's this, make disciples. That's the most important part. Make disciples as you go. As you go. Disciples means followers. You know, G- the Jewish rabbis, uh, they worked to make disciples for themselves. That's how their, their influence and, and their power was expressed by the number of disciples that they had. They would work hard to make disciples. We, we, we see in the Bible that John the Baptist had disciples. You know, you have all of these teachers, but Jesus is calling these Jewish men to do something else. He's not saying, go make disciples for yourself. Go make disciples for me. You point them to me. That's the same thing with us. Our life's purpose and mission is to point other people to our Lord so that they might have eternal life as we go. You know, John chapter 17 Uh, Jesus prays for his followers. He prays in this prayer, part of this prayer, I believe, brings some clarity for this purpose for which we've been called. Because in John 17, 18, he prays this to the Father. He says, as you have sent me, I also have sent them into the world. We are a continuation of God's timeless and eternal plan of salvation, we have the same mission, we have the same purpose, we have the same calling, we are empowered by the same spirit and sent forth in the same manner. This is God's timeless eternal plan that has never changed, and I don't know about you, but it scares me to death that God's timeless eternal plan requires that he use things as undependable and unpredictable and unworthy as me. In John chapter 4, Jesus gives us a powerful example of what he's talking about here, uh, of what he intended for us with this commission. And in chapter 4, he did a very unusual thing, and he conducted himself in an almost incomprehensible manner in this. And, And we see this, John 4, 4 records that Jesus told his disciples that he must, he had to go through Samaria. And when you look at it, and you look at where he was going, he did not have to physically go through Samaria. There were other ways that he could have gone. And in fact, Jewish people made it a point of finding ways to go to places without having to go through Samaria. They didn't like Samaria. They didn't like Samaritans. But Jesus told them, I have to go through Samaria. Why? Why did he have to go through Samaria? And and as we look at the story, we see... It was because he had a divine appointment there with a sinful woman at a well. That's why he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. This appointment would cause him to break almost every acceptable code of conduct for a Jewish man and especially a holy man. But he said, I have to go through Samaria because God the Father has commanded me to go there to meet this sinful woman and offer to her eternal life. It says that the woman came to the well at midday. You know, this was the hottest part of the day. And this was not the time that other people came to the well. They came in the cool of the day. But she came at midday and she came then for a reason because she wanted to avoid other people because she was an outcast to the outcast. Uh, It says that she came to draw water and Jesus spoke to her. A Jewish man just did not speak to a Samaritan woman, and he asked her for a drink. And as they began to talk, he offered to her a drink, but he offered her living water. He said that living water here in living water is a picture of God's activity in producing life in the souls of men. Living water is the promise of eternal life. It is the gift of God. It is the salvation of people's souls. And notice, Jesus, when he came, he didn't just set up somewhere and call for people to come to him. You know, he went to them as he went. And as he went, he made disciples. He comes to you. He comes to me. He comes with an invitation. He offers us the same living water. That's what happens when you've got a big head. <laughs> so this woman embraced Jesus, and she received eternal life. She, she accepted this living water. And let's look at what she did. John 4 says that, in uh, 428, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She'd done a lot. It says that many people were saved because of her testimony. What did she do? She went. She made disciples. She pointed people to the source of eternal life. She pointed them to Jesus. And it says that when Jesus' disciples returned and saw him speaking when interacting with this woman, they were amazed. They couldn't believe that he would do that. And Jesus, being Jesus, he knew exactly what they were thinking. He knew what they might have been murmuring to themselves. And he challenged them. He said this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. The mission fields are ripe for harvest. And he told them, you're missing it. The fields are ready. The fields are ready in Jerusalem. They're ready in Judea. They're ready in Samaria. They're ready to the ends of the earth. God's message to us is he has a mission field for us. This mission that was given to them is also given to us to go. And he says, as we go, make disciples. You know, the second, the second part of making a disciple is assimilating these new believers into the church. Because uh, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior is not the end point of making a disciple. It's the beginning point. That's why it's called new birth, because this new person is a babe in Christ. And we need to baptize them and teach them. You know, we, we had a, at 9, nine o'clock, 30, 9.30, we had a, a, a baptism. You know, we've seen baptisms in this service. And baptism is a picture of a person's commitment to Christ and to this church. It is a first step in obedience. It's really an an external expression of an internal change. You know, a lot of times when, when a when a pastor or somebody's baptizing them, they'll say that that you've been buried with Christ in baptism and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. You are a new creation. So it's just an eternal, external picture of something that's happened inside of us. The old has gone, the new has come, and it says that we should first baptize them as a statement of obedience and then, then teach them. And teaching is instructions in the way of Christ. You know, there's a very interesting thing about teaching somebody something, anything. You can't teach them that which you do not know. So if we are going to teach people to obey the commands of Christ, we need to know what those are. You know, we need to spend time in that. If we're going to make disciples, we need to spend time in God's word. You know, this this is not just a book about God. Okay, this is not his autobiography. This is his timeless and eternal word to us. And he says, if you will read my word, I will reveal myself to you. So as we spend time in his word, and as he grows us, and as he instructs us, and he more fully reveals his truths to us, he says that we are to teach those to other people. And you know, the most powerful teaching tool that we have as believers is example. The example of our lives. We, we need to show others with our lives that we are living in accordance to what we profess to believe that's, that's powerful. When we profess that, application is the acid test of belief. If you truly believe it, you will apply it in your life. When you study the Bible, you see, look at it. What does it say? You study intently. What does it mean? But here's the third part. How do I take that truth and apply it to my life? That's what he tells us to do. And then how do we apply it in our lives and teach others to do the same? Teach others to obey. Show them to obey. Make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And you know, the imperative in the Great Commission is not to go. It is to make disciples. The fact that we will go is, is assumed. We will go. We will go about our lives. We will go along our way. We will do the things that we have to do to live. But as we do those, as we go, it says, make disciples. You know, there's some of us here, and we know Jesus Christ. We know that we've been saved. We know that we've had this transformation in our lives. We know that we have received the gift of eternal life. But, but, but maybe, maybe we're not feeling God's power in our life. Maybe it's something you felt in the past, but you haven't felt it in a while. Maybe it's something that you've never truly felt. And if that's the case, if that applies to you, I just want to ask you to consider something. When was the last time that you stepped out in faith and in obedience to our Lord? When was the last time you humbled yourself before him in prayer and invited him to have his way with you? That's that's a scary prayer, guys. I've done that. That's scary because you don't know what he's going to do. He... we can make a lot of excuses. We can give a lot of reasons why we're not involved in the work of the kingdom. And I know, I know I can get really focused. And when I've got something weighing on me, I can get tunnel vision and, and people at work tease me because I'll walk right past them. You know, they'll speak to me and I, I won't hear them and they'll know something's weighing heavily. And when I'm in that mode, I can begin to tell myself that, that I don't have time for this extra work of God's kingdom. But that's, that's a mistake because that's not extra work. That's the reason for which we're here, to do the work of God. And, you know, Jesus showed us how to deal with that in Luke 19. In Luke 19, it records that that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem for the last time. He knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He was facing this crucifixion. He knew it. And we know that he knows it. He clearly told his disciples what was going to happen. We know that this was weighing heavily on him because we see that in the last night in the Garden of Yosemite when he prayed alone and he prayed in agony and he cried out to God. And it says that sweat dropped from his brow like great drops of blood. And he prayed and he asked the father this. He said, Father, may this cup pass from me. You know know what he was saying? Is there any other way? I would rather not do that. And when we look at this, we see the humanity of Christ. You know, Christ was fully God and fully man. And we see Christ as God when he stood up in that boat and he commanded the storm to stop. He commanded the creation. When he bypassed all of creation and fed the 5,000 by multiplying that, we see the divinity of Christ. But here in the garden, we see the humanity of Christ. When he cried out, is there any other way? And he said, not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. And the answer was, there was no other way. So we know this was weighing on him. So as he walked to Jerusalem, he had every reason to be focused on that and to be considering, because never has any person carried such a weight in their life, because the sow. Salvation of all people was dependent upon him. That's the weight that he carried. And it says when Jesus entered Jericho, when he was passing through, a great crowd came out to see him because his reputation had gotten out there. People came out. They wanted to see him. They, they flocked along the, the roads. They blocked the way. And it tells us that there was a very wealthy Jewish man who, who, who also wanted to see Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he was a man of short stature. I remember the, the, the hymn I learned as a child. It says that this was a wee little man. And he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see. So he looked at the path that he was going, and he made his way ahead of the path, and he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus. And this wealthy man was wealthy because he was a tax collector for the Roman government. His people viewed him as a traitor, and he made his fortune by cheating his own people. He was reviled, but he wanted to see Jesus. And he's up in that tree. And Jesus walks by with the weight of the world on his soul's shoulder, going to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission. And he did an amazing thing. It says he stopped. And he looked up in that tree. And he spoke. And he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus. He knew his name. There's no reason to think we'd ever met this man, but you know why he knew his name? Because he had come to that time and that place for that man. Folks, Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. (laughs) He called you to himself. Jesus was not too busy for Zacchaeus. He was not too distracted. He had nothing better or more important to do. This man's salvation had become his number one priority. That's a message for us here as we go about our daily business, as we go about our lives, as we go about with the worries and the burdens that we care. Still, make disciples. Go with intent. Go with purpose. Go with your eyes on the fields ripe with harvest. Go as directed by God and guided by the Holy Spirit as we live to fulfill the mission of our church to love God and love others and live the mission as we go, make disciples. That is our mission, that is our purpose, and that is the example that our Lord gave to us. And you know, at the the last part of that Great Commission in verse 20, it says that he does not send us out to do his work alone it says this Jesus said and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age so we should go with confidence confidence we should go with hope we should go walking in faith because our Lord what he calls us to do he equips us to do and I stand here before you offering myself as a living example of this truth because when Eric asked me to do this it scared me to death folks as I prayed and as people prayed for me, I felt God beginning to prepare and equip me to do that, which he has called me to do. And my prayer is that you wouldn't hear what Kevin had to say, but that you would hear what God has for all of us to hear. And, you know, we're going to pray here in a minute. And as we pray, I just want you to, to consider some things. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of this living water that Jesus has made available to us at an incredible price to himself, that was purchased by him on a cross just for you. Maybe you've never accepted that. And maybe you've come to know that there's something missing in your life. You know, uh, might I suggest that if you you feel like that life just isn't everything that it should and could be, that maybe there's a void in your heart that only Jesus can fill? Because I believe that. I believe that God made us... A reason, and that reason was to have a relationship with Him. And I believe that that's hardwired into the souls of all people. And I believe that we have an innate longing for God. We desire to fulfill that which we were created for. So maybe, like Zacchaeus, maybe He's calling your name right now. Maybe He's calling to you. And if you know that, and if you'd like to talk to somebody about it here in a minute, After I pray and and as we sing, I'm going to invite you to step out and come down here and we'll have uh, some of our ministers. who will be glad to talk to you about that and, and minister that. Wouldn't you like to be whole and complete, folks? Wouldn't you like to be that which you were created to be? But maybe you're a believer and maybe you haven't been active and involved in the work of the kingdom and maybe you just need to humble yourself before God and boldly ask him what it is that he would have you do. You know, I want you to feel free to come down here to this altar. It's always open. Or you can just kneel where you are just bow your head down and pray. But I challenge you to have the faith to ask God this, to ask God to do as he will with your life, to direct you. So after I pray, I invite you to respond to God. Father, we, we love you. We just praise your holy name. We just thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that while we were lost in our sins, while we were separated from you, helpless and hopeless to restore ourselves to you, you sent your Son to die on a cross, Lord, as the ultimate expression of your love for us. And I pray, Lord, that people would not be timid if you're calling their name. I pray that they would step out and they would come to fulfill that which you created them for and be restored to you and fill the power of your living water as it transforms her life. Lord, I pray for believers that haven't been experiencing your power because they haven't been walking in faith and obedience. And I pray that they will resolve now to correct that and allow you to use each of us as you see fit and allow us to be involved in building something timeless and eternal. And I pray this in Jesus' name.